0: Today's podcast conversation is with Dr. Joel Kahn, a Detroit, Michigan, practicing cardiologist and clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. Dr. Kahn founded the Kahn Center for Cardiac Longevity in Bingham Farms, Michigan. He's authored several books, including the most recent, The Plant-Based Solution a, to Lowering Lipoprotein A, The Heart's Silent Killer our conversation today with Joel was on what are the risk factors for cardiovascular disease? How can we, what are the tools that we have in medicine that we can utilize to best determine the health of the arteries that surround our hearts, right? It still continues to be the number one killer in the world. So we should do everything possible to look at our heart health and lower the risk. Then we drove into into different nutraceuticals and diet for cardiovascular disease. Of course, we talked a lot about the pl- a plant based diet, which is the diet that he promotes, reasonably so. So, my conversation on cardiovascular health with Dr. Joel Kahn. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal, my intention, my focus to help you with your prostate health and how to live better with age. Joel, everybody knows about you from the intro. We won't go into it, into your intro. You obviously, by the way, such a pleasure to have you on. To me, it's like, I can't believe Joel said right away, yeah, I'll be on Geo's podcast. And that was easy and quick. So I really appreciate you being on today. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate you. Joel, so- you are, uh, tell me about your background a little bit. You are a cardiologist, you were trained cardiologist and then went into integrative medicine or was it integrative medicine first or, and then cardiology? What, how did you blend it to what came first?
1: Yeah, real, the short, quick bullet points. They're not all that amazing, but I was born with a heart murmur. Oh, I started seeing a pediatric cardiologist. I never needed a procedure like a you know surgical procedure, but I got interested in cardiology as a kid. And by age 10, you would ask me. I would have said, I have no doctors in the family. That's what I want to do, though. Although I chose the adult route, not the childhood route, and got into med school pretty quick at age 18. And
0: You got into med school. school at the age?
1: They had a program. They had a program, high school, right to med school, University of Michigan, to pump out more family doctors. You can tell I became a family oh, doctor.
0: Man. Oh, man. So not you, a you never went to Ohio State?
1: No, I was six years in Ann Arbor, kind of an accelerated program. I'm have
0: I- I'm, ha- I'm poking there a little bit because you're a Michigan guy. Uh, you know, That's I'm trying to right. poke a That's little. Right. Clearly, you don't but have that animosity towards Ohio State, those Buckeyes.
1: Yeah, I'm a very lukewarm <laughs> sports fan, though. I'd always pick Michigan over the Buckeyes. right from the get-go was headed towards cardiology and became a interventional cardiologist. So I had a very standard practice. What's an interventional
0: cardiologist for our audience?
1: You got a heart attack. I got a balloon. I got a stent. I got a pump. I got nowadays all kinds of new devices. So, you know, you wouldn't have distinguished me much from any other cardiologist, except maybe I had a copy of, a DVD of forks over knives in my pocket to share with the patient, because the only other part of my own bio was I grew up in a home where we kept kosher. I didn't eat pork. I didn't eat yeah. cheeseburgers. And when I went up to Ann Arbor, I adopted a plant diet. I didn't know what to call it. I just called it keeping kosher. But but it, was, it was it for
0: health reasons or for just practice? It was
1: really, it started just to continue my tradition of observing a, an interesting code of Jewish law, mm-hmm. which is food you eat, food you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And pretty quickly ran into people like John Robbins and soon after Dean Ornish and a little later, Dr. Esselstyn, the Cleveland Clinic and learned of Nathan Pritikin in the seventies and realized that actually what I was doing personally in my own home with my wife was actually a bit of a therapeutic you know, advantage for patients. So really from the beginning, I was teaching them in 1990, when I went out and practice because I'm in my 33rd, 34th year, yeah, you know, there were very there wasn't an internet, but you could give somebody a paperback called "Reversing Heart Disease" by Dean Ornish, which of course has some actual urology and yeah. prostate cancer data too. So I always combined the two. But about nine years ago, I threw the stent away and uh, used sprouts and yeah. you know treadmill so, desks. Sprouts and. and, beans and- the sort right? and sleep therapy. And so now I'm an integrative cardiologist, a hundred percent. So
0: you've been so for oh, 30 years,
1: 30 years, 33 years, of cardiology, 46 years, vegan, 46 years of my 64 years on the planet. And, uh, you know, about eight to 10 years, pretty much completely integrative practice in Detroit, Michigan.
0: And so it's your practice primarily. So for example, It's hard so i'm in urology as you know and i'm a prostate cancer and prostate you know expert if you will but we're always looking at everything holistically so if i put a, if i put a protocol together for my patient who let's say he wants to either prevent or has prostate cancer but then it promotes him from getting a heart attack a week later I'm not doing my job, right? It's not just preventing from prostate cancer or dying from it. It's like, how can you live better and longer with AIDS? So I know you're a cardiologist. Do you look at it that way or you just focus on cardiology in your practice?
1: No, it's a broad practice. I mean, we talk about prostate health and dental health and cancer risk and, you know, stress, mind, body, you know, but my focus is easy. I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm dealing with a disease that kills more people than anything else on the planet. If I just stick to early identification of risk or early identification of disease and early you know, plans mm-hmm. to avoid ever having a cardiac event, I mean, that's enough to fill my day without going into every other organ system. 100%. So I'll refer out advanced hormonal work, advanced gut work, I'll refer out. I got enough to do. And we can talk about it. You call me and say, you know, I got John Smith and he's going to undergo some prostate cancer treatment what cardiac labs, what cardiac tests, he has no history. Everybody needs testing. I don't care what your history is. There's too much heart disease. You can never assume. I don't care if you're 145 pounds and run 10 miles every morning, never assume you're free of heart disease. It's just a non sequitur in my you know, pretty broad experience.
0: Joel, you and I both know, and I've spoken to like a friend cardiologist, we spoke about him before we started recording, Alan Gittig about this. And part of the conversation was, what's happening out there in medicine? Why are not only physicians, not only general practitioners, not only internal medicine doctors, but cardiologists still ordering the same five things to look for cardiovascular, same five biomarkers, total cholesterol, LDL, HDL triglycerides, and not looking beyond that, right? So... What would you say? Is it insurance based? Is it what's happening
1: there? Yeah, I think it's an overwhelming volume of patients. So there's no drive. My office is half empty. I better expand my toolbox to attract more patients. Most cardiologists have more patients than they need just by the nature of the disease Mm. and the number that are trained. Number two, it's clearly the educational system. I mean, med school, education, I mean, you know it and I know it. I mean, I don't think everything about the pharmaceutical industry is innately bad. Mm. But, you know, once you graduate and you're in practice, one of the biggest influences is what pharmaceutical company is bringing in the grand round speaker and what pharmaceutical company is bringing in a pizza salad lunch. And it's not going to be anything, usually, about a new lab or CT or ultrasound or genetic panel to really expand your knowledge base. So, I mean, once you open Pandora's box of getting into integrated medicine, you realize, you know, there's a zillion other sites to learn from and people to learn from and all. But, you know, even even the preventive cardiology meetings, the cholesterol education meetings, and they're better than they used to be. They're still very much focused around new pharmaceutical approaches with, you know, then bacon breakfasts and, you know, uh, pizza parties and you know, it just doesn't really filter down to there's some great disconnect here that we're eating like pigs, and we're promoting, you know, cardiovascular health. And again, that's a generalization, there are obviously people wildly crazy about lifestyle medicine, yeah. preventive lifestyles, the American Society of Lifestyle Medicine yeah. American College, it is actually ACLM, mm-hmm. you know, has really taken a nice jump, but it's not 5% of physicians that are actively involved in lifestyle, you know, so I find frustrating. it frustrating. Yeah, it yeah. is
0: frustrating. I, you know, I find in the world of urology that there way, there are a lot more people and practitioners interested in integrative urology, but they just have a hard time crossing over whether it's what I call the golden handcuffs, right? So, you know, if you have kids in college, you know, if you, once you start switching to integrative medicine, That's a switch. You may take a financial hit for a couple of years, and some people can't do that, though they're very interested. They want to have that conversation. They want to spend more time with patients and look at things holistically. They just can't. Do you find that's a similar situation in cardiology?
1: Well, yeah, there there are constraints. I mean, I started ordering in a standard insurance-based practice where I was seeing a lot of people every day in the clinic. You wouldn't distinguish me from any other cardiologist. I started ordering advanced lipid panels and advanced biomarkers and genetic testing like lipoprotein A and NP 20, and 9P21. I started doing this in the last couple, three years of my standard practice. And I got it done and I communicated to patients and gave them you know extra information that was all within an insurance model. But you know I had to do it in about two minutes when the results came back. It just made my life more difficult. And that's why I ultimately switched to give me time to really explain to people and set a plan for people. You know, you ask the average, you know, physician or nurse practitioner, do you have two, three, four extra minutes every visit to go over lifestyle medicine or advanced testing? The answers are so stressed out because they know there's three patients waiting in the waiting room. So yeah, that, you know, I am in a cash-based practice now. It was a very scary day when I signed the papers to withdraw from Medicare and Blue Cross and Humana and all the others, but it was necessary to do the work. Yet, I think it can be done in a, Insurance based model. You literally need just a small modicum of maybe 10 extra tests you order and three or four educational handouts or online educational materials you know about. But, you know, I haven't written a book yet, you know, Integrative Cardiology for the Practitioner. I mean, that would be a good book or for the medical student. I think that would be great. T- I tend to write, you know, more for the public, but that's when the revolution will happen, is when it's actually more common. In the office setting,
0: that's great, and I think you should write that book. I'm being, you know, selfish. I'm not a cardiologist, but I do dabble because I see a lot of men, and sometimes I give them some guidance. And I think it would be a good deed for humanity, honestly. So I look forward to that, Joel. <laughs> I look forward to you writing such a book. He spoke the words, and shall happen. <laughs> Let's talk about biomarkers for a second. And let's stick for just a couple of minutes with the top ones that everybody orders, right? And and it's relevance and significance. What we're trying to figure out is what is the best non-invasive way to determine the health of our arteries so that we can lower our risk or prevent the risk of a stroke or a heart attack. That's what we're ultimately trying to figure out.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, and I do agree with the statement you made a couple of minutes ago, that the usual interaction between an internist, a family doc, and a cardiologist with a patient is the same lab panel they had 30 years ago, and I find it
0: incredibly insane. Any not- use with that – lab? any use – for example, I don't find that total cholesterol is like – I don't know. I've seen total cholesterol in pretty high, and when we do like calcium scores or other sc- tests, it's like there are zero. Some people even say, well, maybe not even LDL is a big – deal in terms of cardiovascular risk i like triglycerides for example hdl ratio from an insulin resistance perspective which then leads to so where is there if any good use with the top biomarkers that are utilized today
1: so i want to back up you know because you won't get most of these part of the reason is there is the u.s preventive task force i think that's the proper name yeah that recommends what should be done in a routine visit and then the insurers decide to use that. So for example about 4 years ago they actually withdrew their support to even get an electrocardiogram on a 50-year-old annual physical with your internist or family doc. So electrocardiograms are rarely paid for anymore and that's, you know, not a biomarker but it's still of some value for cardiovascular health and, you know, a $35 non-invasive simple test. Yeah. So a lot of it is physicians anticipating that their patient's lab values won't be covered by insurance and with just a little education on proper billing codes for vitamin d deficiency omega-3 deficiency you know family history of ischemic heart disease anyway you can get these things appropriately and legitimately covered i don't own a lab i don't make any money from lab values so let me even back up one more there's two paths to take and you can take both. A very famous preventive, and I believe he was a vascular surgeon in Europe, Ernest Schneider Mm -hmm. said the best biomarker for arteriosclerotic disease is to look at an artery. So one approach is, which is hugely deficient in U.S. and Western medicine, is you already said the magic word, Maybe at age 40 to 45, you ought to go for an imaging test to find out if you're developing accelerated atherosclerosis, just like you're gonna go for a colonoscopy, a mammogram, a digital rectal exam, and a gynecologic exam for uterine cancer. Maybe you should get your heart screen given you're about 10 times more likely to die and maybe die in your forties and fifties, and nobody does it. So, you know, in New York City for a hundred dollars at NYU or Columbia or Mount Sinai, you can get a heart calcium CT scan and you pray it comes back as zero. It's not a perfect test. There's no needle, no injection, there's no pain. It's not claustrophobic. There's a very small exposure to radiation, which if you get on a good modern CT scanner, it's very low exposure. And you wanna come back as zero, heart, calcium, CT scan. You fulfill Dr. Schneider's prediction. That's where the biomarkers become less important because you're dealing with a person that has no overt premature atherosclerosis, and the LDL may be high, and you're going to scratch your head and say, I thought LDL causes atherosclerosis. It's a risk factor. We'll I will cover that in a minute. Or you could do a carotid ultrasound, lifeline screening, or get to a good vascular clinic like mine or many in New York City. And if you have no plaque in your carotid arteries, it's better than if you're 44 years old and you they do tell you have Mild plaque and thickening of your carotid lining of your arteries. So we have a system that doesn't build that in, and it's crazy. It's backwards you know these heart, these heart calcium CT scans were developed at the University of California, San Francisco, 1990. Mm. And anybody interested, there's an amazing documentary online, I think on YouTube called Widowmaker Movie about the development of the CT scan and how it has the capacity to grossly, but very efficiently say, you're high risk, you're low risk, you need all the biomarkers, you need less. Everybody needs to eat well and have fitness and try and maintain their weight and sleep well and manage stress. But some people need a whole lot more and some need a whole lot less. Some need statins and aspirin, God forbid, some need none. And we have science that says this simple CT scan, hundred dollar out of pocket expense, can do all of that in about three seconds and then do it again in five years. There are even more advanced ways now using it's called CT angiography with die. And thank God we've brought artificial intelligence into cardiology practice. There's a term I love precision medicine, precision cardiology. So you know, we can anybody listening, you know, you're less than a thousand dollars away from having a very precise characterization of what's going on internally. Dr. Schneider, principal again, if you wanna know your risk for atherosclerosis, check your arteries. Where for under a thousand dollars, you can know everything we know that we might know from cancer screening or dementia screening or diabetes screening, but we've been so deficient in the cardiovascular world. So that's pre-biomarker, you might wanna do the ultimate biomarker, how's my arteries doing? And there's even a concept called arterial age. You know, you're 64 years old and your arteries are like a 48-year-old. Yes. And that's a real concept with real consequences for your longevity and health span. Or you're 48-year-olds and your arteries are like a 64-year-old. Not so cool. You need a wraparound love. Beyond that... How do you calculate
0: that, Joel? How do you calculate arterial age?
1: Usually databases. You know, you have a burden of calcium in your heart arteries. or You have a burden of plaque in your carotid arteries. And these are precise measurements that would be more typically found in somebody 15 years older than you in a database of 6,000 men and women across the United States. So is there some way where you plug
0: in these numbers online, a calculator where you plug in these numbers and it gives you a score?
1: Yeah, you can look at, you're probably familiar with a study called MESA, Mm -hmm. multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis. Mm -hmm. And literally you could plug in online calculator. Anybody can use it. I use it every day in my office and tell people good news and bad news, but it's, you know, it's precision and it's scientific and it's meaningful because you could have a high cholesterol and live a long life. There's, you could smoke and live a long life, but if you've got accelerated plaque in your arteries, you've got a problem. Beyond that, you know, this, there was a rise in heart attacks after World War II, our diet got rich, the economy went up, people came home smoking free cigarettes. A lot of money went into identifying biomarkers and that's where the Framingham study, particularly there right. were others came out and said, just what doctors do every day, check a blood sugar, or God forbid, a three month blood sugar called the hemoglobin A1C, check a a panel of lipids, total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides, then you can make ratios if you want. It's just simple math. Check a blood pressure. You're gonna need a home blood pressure cuff, everybody. Mm -hmm. Number one request I have a patient's home blood pressure cuff. What's a good one? I have no stock, but Amron Platinum, you can buy in all the big box stores. Amron Platinum's a good one. Costs you about $79. And we have them in my office just for that reason. So people can go home with one. They need one. You got to use it. You got to use it regularly. You know, 11 million people a year, I think is the stat, die of hypertension-related yep. diseases like strokes and aneurysms. And Joe, what's the, the, what's the
0: with the Omron Platinum, they do it at home. What's the yeah. ratio where they come to your office and they're completely different outcomes, different numbers, right? So that's, the, yeah. that's, that's what I hear a lot. I go to the office, maybe yeah. white coat syndrome or something, but the numbers are completely yeah. different.
1: You're asking me a cutting edge question because I know you like literature. I do too. So number one, there are people that check their blood pressure at home. It's 130 over 80. And in the office, 130 over 80, it's consistent. There are people that in the office, it's 160 over 100. But at home, they swear, they write it down, they track it. It's 120 over 70. Of course, we call that white coat hypertension. And there's actually one called mask hypertension that in the office they're 130 over 70 and at home they're 160 over hundred and they're doing it right. They're sitting quietly, they're relaxed, they've got a cuff on their arm and they're doing it a minute apart three times. So it's not a anxiety related blood pressure spike at home and you really focus more on the third one than the first one. So in the, I believe it was New England Journal of Medicine in the last 10 days, but certainly in a just brand new publication, Spain has a really aggressive hypertension program across the country. And in 203 family doctor clinics, they accumulated 55,000 people that had blood pressures done in the clinic. And then they wore a 24 hour, it's called ambulatory blood pressure monitor, which until recently was a total hemorrhoid in use. But you put a cuff on the arm, cables, and you wear a box on your belt that looks like an old fashioned Walkman. And for 24 hours, it's getting, you know, maybe 80 different blood pressures, not just two or three in the office or at home. They compared all that, and it's not the first time. The most predictive measurement you can have of your risk of dying of stroke, heart attack, or just dropping dead of what's called sudden cardiac death is actually your blood pressure at night. And you can't measure your blood pressure at night while you're asleep unless you have a 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitor. Fascinating. Fascinating. I will tell you, I am not an investor, but there's an Israeli company that has just captivated my practice and my intellect called BioBeat.com, B-I-O-B-E-A-T.com. They have a simple little patch, first in the world, patented, FDA approved. You wear a little patch for 24 hours. You feel nothing but 100 times in 24 hours, it measures your blood pressure, and you get a report instantly. You get the daytime blood pressure, the nighttime blood pressure, the average blood pressure. I think it's a breakthrough unparalleled. And I've had about a hundred patients wear it so far in my practice, they're just developing a distribution system. It's called photoplethysmography, and they've got all the data about the accuracy. Cause that's always the bug about what's accurate. There's the home one, is the office one, right. Until you do it. I went deep on blood pressure, but I'm passionate about the, our complete absence of screening for heart disease using heart calcium CT scans, properly screening for blood pressure by home blood pressure cuffs and now twenty four hour ambulatory blood pressure
0: cuffs supported by this huge Spanish study. Well we'll look into it. We'll have it in our show notes. Before you continue, Joel, because I know you you can j ju- you can talk about this without interruption for hours and hours at a time. So I need to slow you down here a little bit. If I don't I wanna get some key points in. I think I gave you a fifteen-minute intro to the question you asked me, Marcus. <laughs> exactly. okay, let me at least finish that. Well, so I well, started- hold, before you do that, because you, then you went into the two C- Italians, <laughs> except I'm not Italian. You're an Italian Jew. I don't know. That's a deadly combination there. <laughs> to do the the score that you mentioned, what was that score that you mentioned? Heart calcium CT score, right? Heart calcium CT score. So you need several readings of. Your calcium score you need your an angiogram of your carotid artery you need those values to plug it in and then to get a score that's valuable is that how it works
1: yeah the heart calcium ct score is actually a ct scan unfortunately everywhere except the state of texas you have to pay for it but it's about 75 to 100 dollars. Mm-hmm. in texas it's an insurance covered benefit and if you watch the widow maker movie you'll see why it's fascinating you do need, in almost every state, not everywhere, but you need a, a doctor, a nurse, a PA's script. Sure. It says, you know, heart, calcium, CT scan, self-pay. Doesn't involve your insurance company. No need for preauthorization. Test takes two seconds, and it comes back zero. It's a good news, warm, fuzzy feeling. And your arterial age is going to be lower than your driver's and license age. what's the age. number that
0: will scare you? I know that some low numbers are okay.
1: Brand new science published three weeks ago, but it's really consistent with 33 years of science. A calcium score over 300, and I'd say 10 to 15% of people listening to this YouTube podcast are going to have a calcium score. Silent disease over 300. It can go to 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. But if your calcium score is over 300, but you're playing pickleball and say, I feel great, you have the same risk of dying prematurely as somebody who's already had a heart attack. So you need you know, a dietitian and a an baby aspirin and probably prescription medication and you need nutritional education and you know, you need a fitness plan. Mm. You maybe need cardiac rehab with Dr. Ornish or the Pritkin program. You need a lot of attention. So that's that Thank number you. can stick in your head. But if your number is 33, I care, because you've got atherosclerosis and you're way more risk than me who has a calcium score of zero for the past 30 At years. At 64. At 64, I've had a CT angiogram. I have no plaque in my arteries. That's the power of parsley. The power of the par- parsley. Of parsley. That's another bug. Like a Prince song or something. <laughs>
0: uh, arterial uh, age. That's I, t- thank you for that explanation. That's what I was referring to as well. Arterial age. To get your arterial age, you got to plug in some numbers. And so all these numbers are from a CT score or angiogram? The most common
1: way to do it is a heart calcium CT score for $100. You can get your arterial age. If you find a good center that does carotid disease, like we do in my clinic, but it's available in New York, and you got to hunt around a little. My reports will tell a person, you're 48 years old, but your arteries look like a 61-year-old, and we work on it, and it is reversible. You can improve on it within 12 months, and certainly within five years, make major improvements. You can get younger. Your vascular system can get younger. Sure. Your erections can come back, guys. They really can. Sure. Just put a little parsley on your plate, please. <laughs> parsley over bacon. Biomarkers. Biomarkers. Let's do it. Okay. So we learned that you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, mom, dad, brother, sister, having a heart attack, stroke bypass, and smoking, the big five we learned in 1960. That's medicine in 2023, sadly. So ask for a couple more. High sensitivity C-reactive protein, a blood test that measures inflammation in the blood vessels. Some studies say more important in predicting heart attack and stroke than even LDL cholesterol, which is pretty important. But high sensitivity C-reactive protein, simple blood test. Every lab does it from Quest to LabCorp to your local hospital to your family doctor does it. Ask for an advanced cholesterol panel. It's called an NMR, Nancy Mary Radish NMR. A profile.
0: Profile. Yep.
1: little bit more advanced, particularly if you're a bit portly, pre-diabetic or diabetic. It's more accurate in that setting for sure. It's not necessarily an enhancement to everybody. I like a blood test. This is the last cholesterol one. It's called APOB. A-P-O, yeah, I was hoping you mentioned that. One number that gives you all the nasty particles in one number and numbers should be less than ninety, less than seventy, less than sixty. If you're lower better scores, if the lower better, particularly if your calcium score of your heart's not zero, lower better. You can do a diet. You can do How low
0: fitness. can you get your APOB dietarily? I've struggled with that with patients.
1: Well, you're asking an interesting question. And what my current explanation to patients is, imagine the NFL made a football field 150 yards long. And here I am with sports again, so I'm going to step and poo. But, you know, it would be harder to score a touchdown. You'd have us people slamming the football. We used to take a patient who had heart disease, maybe bypass, heart attack, high calcium score, said get your LDL cholesterol under 100, standard football field. Then we changed it, get your LDL under 70. We made the football field longer, harder to score, harder to get there. And diet doesn't do it as often as it used to because the goal has changed, not the diet. And now we're talking that actually the international guidelines for people who have advanced heart disease, bypass heart attacks, high calcium scores, angina, it's actually LDLs of 50 or less. And safe, good for the brain, good for your testosterone, fine for your That's hard
0: family. with just lifestyle so now and are
1: getting all that parsley and all those black beans and all your oatmeal. It's harder than ever to do those aggressive goals with diet alone. So the diet is still a foundation of good health for prostate health and, and a prostate cancer avoidance and every other overlap between the heart and your organ system but it's just going to take usually a supplement or possibly a low dose, super low dose prescription drug. So let me just keep going. Lipoprotein A. I will shamelessly say, cause it's sitting right next to me, but there is the word on the ah. screen. Lipoprotein little a. That's a I've shameless a
0: plug. I'm glad you did it. Shameless
1: plug. shameless plug. Shameless plug. Also full of about 70 amazing recipes. So that's that for those
0: great. that are not watching on video and those that are listening. This is Dr. Khan's book, Lipoprotein A. What's the subtitle there?
1: the heart's quiet
0: killer. The heart's quiet killer. So we'll have it on our show notes as well.
1: 100% of people make LDL cholesterol, but 25% of people have the ability to make two cholesterols. And as you imagine, that might not be so cool for your cardiovascular risk. The second one has that obscure name lipoprotein little a, although there's been an explosion of articles in the last year of Men's Health and New York Times yeah. and You know, LA Times, it's not as obscure as it was when I wrote that book two years ago. And it's a frustrating little particle because there's no approved pharmacologic or dietary lifestyle agent to lower it. But I think a good thing, three pharmaceutical companies have agents that'll be out in the next two years. So you, you may actually have to take your Lipitor and your Pelicarsin. that's the name of one of the three coming down the pipeline. I can lower it with niacin and other manipulations. So I do a pretty good job of getting my patient's lipoprotein A down because I'm not uh, paranoid about using an old-fashioned vitamin called niacin because it does... cause a little flushing. A little, a little. I took a thousand milligrams this morning. and was a little beet red faced about an hour ago. I like it. But you can lower (laughs) all kinds of cholesterol particles with it. Any other biomarkers, vitamin D level, D like David, omega-3 level, number one nutritional deficiency in my practice is a low omega-3 level. They're vegan, they don't like fish, they don't like salmon, they don't like sardines, they don't eat chia, they don't eat flax, they've never heard of hemp hearts, and they're just super low and your brain is just like sucking gasping for a little membrane construction molecule called omega-3, EPA, DHA. You know. That'll do it. You don't have to do too much more. I'm you surprised know. you didn't say
0: things like TMAO. Okay. TMAO, I would put
1: a category down. It's a fascinating story and I can do it in under 60 seconds. What does it seconds. stand
0: for and tell us about it? Yeah,
1: trimethylamine N-oxide, TMAO. When you eat, this is all Cleveland Clinic research since 2011, but they were hunting. They're always hunting. Dr. Stanley Hazen is his name. Is there a new particle in the blood that might be causing people to die of heart disease and strokes and aneurysms we haven't found? I mean, because it can't be just cholesterol and blood sugar and blood pressure. So they found this molecule and they found quickly, if you eat egg yolk, it's rich in choline and choline gets converted by your gut bacteria through your liver to make TMAO. Mm -hmm. And if you eat red meat, it contains L-carnitine and the same pathway occurs. And if you check in vegans, you don't find TMAO, and Dr. Hazen is no vegan. This wasn't pro-vegan Cleveland Clinic research, it was just research. And they quickly found the higher your blood TMAO level, the more plaque you had in your artery system, and now the more fibrosis you have in your kidneys. There's a very strong TMAO kidney disease connection. If you're diabetic, if you have heart failure, if you have early memory issues, the higher your TMAO level, the worse the disease will progress, unless you make the changes. They just reported, I mean, everything's brand new research. The higher your TMAO, the greater your chance of an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And they're working hard on a blocker. Of course, you can block it by stop drinking energy drinks that are rich in L-carnitine. Many of them have it and choline, or at least get a small amount in your diet, not a massive amount in your diet, you know, have one egg yolk a week instead of 10. I mean, and you can ask for a blood test. It's available at Quest Labs, LabCorp. But,
0: but that's TML, not your top it, tier. Your top tier are the ones you mentioned. So it's the C-reactive protein, NMR lipoprofile, APOB, and lipoprotein, little a.
1: Yeah, that would make a big dent in identifying a whole lot more people at risk. But TML is a fun one. Because there is actually, you know, a pretty simple path to bring it down if it's high. And God knows. And, you know, a lot of people are going to the vitamin shop. They read an article and they're buying carnitine. They're buying choline. And I'm not saying it's always bad. But if your TMAO levels sky high, like many of my patients, you might want to cut back. It's tough.
0: Or- it's a t- and this is where it gets a little tricky because sometimes, and we'll talk about that in a second because I want to put a bow on the biomarkers. But sometimes it's a matter of a trade-off: living longer but and quality of life. It's almost like you can't have it all, right? Because you need choline for brain. By the way, a lot of association with choline and prostate cancer, right? A lot of correlation. So much right. so that I cannot ignore it. And so then, but you need choline, phosphatidylcholine, for brain function. Your brain really won't function without it. So it's a fine line.
1: There is a fine line, you know. And I encourage people to you know, talk to their doc and get the blood test and maybe bring the dose of choline, L-carnitine and supplemental sources. Look at your energy drink if you're drinking energy shots and, you know, maybe bring it down a bit if your TMAO is high. Berberine, a popular agent for lowering blood sugar, blood cholesterol. It's now being called nature Ozempic. People lose weight on berberine. Can also lower TMAO. That's brand yeah, new. I've been, data. That's a,
0: that is brand new. I've been using berberine for over twenty years, as a twenty-five years as a naturopathic doctor for many things, yeah. and look, you know, and now we know that it brings down TMAO as well. TMAO. Homocysteine. Yeah, I.
1: Yeah, I. That's probably. A good thing, you brought it up and an omission on my part, homocysteine, H-O-M-O-C-Y-S-T-E-I-N-E, is an amino acid that, again, has a role in the body, but like many things, too much isn't necessarily better. There's a sweet spot. If you eat a very red meat-heavy diet, your homocysteine might go up from the additional uh, l methionine in in the diet. If you have a genetic defect that you check and I check called MTHFR methylation status, And finally, if you're deficient in B12 and folate, it might be high, it's a real sensitive to B12 deficiency. And, you know, probably 60 years of data that a super high homocysteine is related to worse arteries, worse erectile function, greater cancer risk, greater brain dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So it's such an easy one to treat with diet changes or simple B complex vitamins. You know, it hasn't been accepted by the standard medical community of late, Folate supplementation is associated with longer lifespan, better brain health, better cardiac health. So it's creeping in because the science is undeniable that you bringing homocysteine down with folate. But you and I know it takes usually more than folate; it takes the B
0: six, B twelve, and all these things. Right, right. But to be clear, you're referring to folate, not folic acid. Right. Not a big
1: fan, and you know nobody's made this clearer than Ben Lynch, yeah. another naturopathic doc that. Well, you know, when you buy your cornflakes and they're fortified with folic acid, it may actually gum up your metabolism. When you're eating leafy greens, they have a more natural version. And if you get better vitamins than the average, they'll have folate or methylfolate and the body can metabolize that and bring down homocysteine without an excess of folic acid, right?
0: All right. So let's talk about, and I'm not putting my boxing gloves on because I think we're aligned for the most part. Diet. <laughs> Diet and cardiovascular disease. And the reason why, Hi, I, in case there are it's a few people it. that I don't know you, Joel is a huge plant based doc where he's very vocal about it. He's been vocal in many other popular podcasts and he has had numerous debates on the topic. Joel, let me give you some context that you may not know. <laughs> And now, let's give it a little love to our sponsor. You know, we're here in Heart Health Month, February, and this is the Heart Series here at Dr. Geo Podcast. And I want to thank our sponsor, Calroy. Calroy produces two excellent dietary supplements. One is called Sol HP, and the other one is Vasconox. And both do an excellent job in supporting cardiovascular health. Arteriosol HP helps with the production of the endothelial glycocalyx. You'll learn about that with Dr. Miles Spar in this series, where you need that particular lining in the endothelial cells to help your heart and your blood vessels and vascular system work well. Vasconox works in the proper production of nitric oxide to, again, help your vascular system and your heart stay. Nice and healthy. Arterial HP and Vasconox make the perfect combination for vascular support. Give your glycocalyx and nitric oxide production the attention they deserve heading over to the website calroy.com backlash.go. That's c a l r o y C A L R O Y.com backlash D R G E O. I'll see you there. <laughs> Throughout my 25 years journey of natural medicine, I've done everything from Atkins diet to zone diet, including plant-based, only plant-based, vegetarian, raw food. I've gone through the spectrum, both for experimental reasons and because, hey, I'm going to do this for a living. Let me know. I always want to know how difficult or easy it is for the patient or my audience to do what I'm asking them to do. I want to do it before they do it. Fasting. I want to do fasting so that I know what they're going through, whether it's intermittent fasting or a couple of days of fasting. I think, I think plant-based and when the floor is yours, you can kind of course correct wherever you see fit. My definition of plant-based is not necessarily exclusion of animal products. It's plant-based is mostly plant-based 60, 70% plants. And I think if people do that, well, the first dietary rule that I have for most people is, you know, we're all eating too much. Let's eat less. Then it's the conversation of what to eat. Plant-based to me doesn't mean the exclusion of animal products or fish and things of the sort. And we could talk about why I think that's important a little bit. Actually, we could talk about it now a little bit. There's a, like I said, mentioned before, there's a, sometimes it feels like a trade off with longevity, quality of life, and performance. So if I want to live longer, I need to do this, but it may not help my performance. One of the things that I care about, and I, as I see aging men, one of my biggest concerns, certainly other than cardiovascular disease, is sarcopenia. That's natural muscle wasting. Which then it leads to metabolic problems and eventually weakness, physical weakness, and eventually broken bones. Broken bones, after a certain point, is deadly, right? A 30% mortality rate after a certain age. So... Your approach as a plant-based doctor is plant-based. Am I, how, what do you feel about that definition of it doesn't have to exclude certain foods? The other thing is I want people to be inclusive. I want people to find ways to, you know, improve their diet reasonably. So if they love their medium rare, all right, well, th- let me show you how to do that. You know, take it away in whatever direction you want. I think you get the point, And I think our audience is going to benefit from this.
1: So, Again, disclosure, I've been completely 100% whole food plant-based for 46 years. So I don't have an egg a week. I don't have a piece of fish a week. I don't have a piece of beef a week. There's nothing that isn't a plant that goes in my body. And 99% of it is organic, whole food, plant-based. I don't eat Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat Burgers. I feel great. That's a great point, Uh, by the way.
0: Thank you for saying that. Because a lot of people think that's part of the problem. A lot of people don't really know how to do a plant-based diet, I think. So that's a big deal. When I
1: calculate my vascular age, arterial age, when I calculate my epigenetic ages as a little bit of a biohacker like you do, they're all very favorable. Is In the world of cardiology, if you take the foundational studies, I want to reverse or prevent, but let's take reverse. It's harder to reverse a disease than it is to prevent a disease because yeah. the disease is present. All the reversal heart disease data We always need more, but all of them, that's not true. Most of them are 100% plant-based, no exception. That would be the famous randomized studies of Dr. Dean Ornish, who's now working on reversing brain disease in an ongoing study, Dr. Esselstyn at the Cleveland Clinic, the famous Pritikin Longevity Center in Miami. But to be actually fair, 19 meals a week in the Pritikin program are whole food plant-based. They allow patients to have Two meals a week maybe bison maybe a piece of salmon so that's nearly completely plant-based
0: the heart disease when you reversal, say reversal have,
1: i'm talking people having angina pain on the treadmill that it goes away in five weeks because they've altered you know the worse their diet is at the beginning the quicker the response is going to be to flooding them with leafy greens and berries and whole grains and legumes they're going to respond quickly yeah and if we actually do advanced imaging, not the calcium score. You got to go to the more advanced CT angiogram or maybe the carotid study. You can actually see plaque start to shrink and arteries start to open. And that's why they're symptomatically feeling better. Their erections come back because their pelvic vessels are improving. These are all scientific endpoints that are undeniable. And they're largely whole food plant-based diets. If you shift to preventing disease, or just hoping that you live a long life with good health, good health span, there's a little more wiggle room because it's not 100% guaranteed in the science that a vegan lives longer than a uh, pescatarian and a pescatarian lives longer than a lacto-ovo vegetarian and they live longer than an omnivore. The best data maybe is from Loma Linda and the Seventh-day Adventist very large database where actually pescatarians, largely plant-based with little fish, in a non-randomized study, just a good database, lived a little longer than the vegans, but they all lived longer than those that ate a pretty animal heavy diet in studies published, I think in 2013 and many others. My fallback for most nutrition is go read Dr. Walter Longo and his body of science, You know, professor of gerontology at the University of Southern California, the Keck Medical School read his book, The Longevity Diet, which was published in 2018, learn about his five-day fasting mimicking plan, which, of course, you know about yep. You mentioned fasting. And, you know, Dr. Longo, after studying, you know, the number one funded science nutrition researcher in the United States, I mean, $33 million of NIH funding, at least, I think it's more than that now, has gone into his research lab, and you and I are paying for that. And it's a flood of productive data that he's produced, but he eats 18 to 19 plant whole food meals a week. He does tend to eat three meals a day. He's not a big believer in shrinking your eating window into a super small window. And he eats two to three pieces of fish a week, very similar to the Loma Linda data. So I think if somebody starts there, 18 meals a week, the Seventh-day Adventist, Dr. Khan, the cardiologist, Dr. Longo, the eminent nutrition scientist, say should be grains and beans and fruits and vegetables and as close to nature as possible. And if you want to enjoy three meals a week that aren't in that route, just don't make them junk. I think you're in a good space. I don't choose to do that, but I don't yell at my patients that adopt a Mediterranean diet where they're shifting their red meat over to salmon or sardines and they're shifting their butter over to extra virgin olive oil and they're adding in more legumes and you know, big google salads and getting out and walking after dinner. I mean, I welcome their Mediterranean diet, except that they're really advanced heart disease people. I'll just point out to you, this is totally random and opportune timing, but I keep up on the literature with the same kind of passion you do. There's a publication this week at the American Society of Clinical Oncology from Harvard that men with prostate cancer but a good prognosis predicted the closer their diet is to a whole food plant-based diet, the better was their energy, sure. body mass, sexual function, and longevity. And it was every everything Harvard does has a lot of patients. This happened to be thirty, five hundred men, uh, with, you know, predicted to be good outcome prostate cancer. And when you change the diet, more and more plant-based, like we're talking. So yeah, the question is, people do better, I believe, with strict rules versus loose rules. Well, okay, 18 meals a week, plant-based, three meals a week is in your territory to examine what you're going to do with it. And I think we can all have good health with that
0: plan. Well, I love that plan. That's pretty much what I, so amazing. That's pretty much what I what I prescribe as it relates to red meat, which is the boogaboo with people and Plant-based, and certainly we have people that are completely on the opposite spectrum, the Paleolithic movement with our one of our colleagues, Jack Wilson. Which amazingly, you guys—he's another cardiologist—and you guys are amicable. The research that I've read on the consumption of red meat is not that necessarily that red meats are bad or promotes dying prematurely. Processed meats are definitely what keeps coming up the highest there. And why do I say that? I think you could, going back to sarcopenia muscle wasting, you need certain amino acids. And when they say, well, no, you can do a complete protein, you can have a complete protein, complete proteins with a plant-based diet. Sure. Yeah, that's true. But specifically what you need for muscle synthesis and protein synthesis in muscle is leucine primarily, and then the branchings, isoleucine and valine. You get right. that very nicely with red meat, not so nicely in a plant-based unless you include fish. And again, to uh, at the risk of being repetitive, I see in aging men the problem to be, the main problem to be muscle wasting and physical weakness, to be a major problem that leads to many other problems. What is your opinion? And again, I'd say, look, no processed meats, but right. give them some guidance with some type of red meat, whether it's grass fed, that's another story.
1: Well, I think everybody agrees. That's where Jack Wilson and I can get in and we're very good friends and colleagues, but we disagree on many topics. We all agree that processed crap and we know what crap looks like. It comes in the frozen section of the grocery store. It comes in a paper box, comes with a plastic wrap. You got to pop it in your microwave. You're driving through your car and you're grabbing a bag through your window. And you know, there's so much crap out there and people are eating so much crap. And in the vegan movement, now there's vegan crap everywhere. Yeah, the and fake meat, always- all the fake
0: meats, right, Joel? Yeah,
1: fake meats and, you know, uh, imitation, everything. And, you know, we got Bill Gates wine to feed the world, GMO, fake food in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all agree that's toxic choices. And even in the plant waste world, even in the study I just mentioned here you with men with prostate cancer and their diet choices, an unhealthy plant diet is as bad as the general diet. It takes harder work. You got to actually open a can of kidney beans and make a bean salad. Mm -hmm. You got to get real old school Italian, you know, peasant food and then you're in a good place. So we all agree junk is to be eliminated as much as possible from the diet. Then you get into versions of clean diets and you got a paleo clean diet and a ketogenic clean diet and a Mediterranean clean diet and a whole food plant-based clean diet. And you know, we can, talk about that and there's diet wars but let's focus on getting junk out of the american diet it would be huge if
0: you challenge. go from a standard american diet to right.
1: any diet any of those you've just upgraded and that's the only reason you could possibly explain why people aren't dropping dead of the carnivore diet it's an abysmal choice absent all cardiovascular safety data but it's better then running over to uh, Burger King and getting a couple, you know, triple whoppers. Well, even just and, a lot uh, of
0: just bread. And So what I've seen with vegans, and I, and of course, the problem is that most people are not doing it right. That's the problem. I get that. It's hard to do it right, Joel. It's, and I am in this. I'm in it. And it's very difficult to do it right. What I see with most vegans, I find that a lot of vegans are actually unhealthy. They do have a, in my opinion, a protein deficiency, whether because I see it with their nails or... They just, their muscle mass is really low or uh, their immune system. You need amino acids and they're just become more starchitarians oftentimes. So they're eating simple carbs and things.
1: But I just want to finish up with your sarcopenia comment. You know, I started to watch this come on, you know, social media and other locations in the last 18 months. And you're probably familiar with the term muscle centric diet and, my my friend and colleague, Gabriel Lyon and others, I was very honestly reading Mark Hyman's new book, I would call Mark a friend. I wish him happy birthday every year by texting him and all the rest. But you know, he has got a book out called Forever Young on longevity and I'm reading it and I spit my tempeh burger out because there's a sentence that says, if you wanna build muscle, you have to eat muscle. And You know, you're a very scientific person, Dr. Mark Hyman. And he did reference a study in 2014 I wasn't aware of, amongst all the other data. But I mean, I'm friendly with so many vegan bodybuilders that are winning awards and on covers of Muscle and Fitness Magazine and they're natural clean bodybuilders. They're not using
0: using steroids.
1: They're just lifting a hell of a lot of weight every day. And so I got interested in this topic and I'll just tell you real quick, there's at least six articles published in the last 18 months that are small randomized clinical studies We took sedentary 30-year-olds and put them in the gym for 12 weeks on whey protein or fava bean protein on a meat-based diet or a whole food plant diet and analyzed their strength and their increased capacity. And all these studies have shown equality of advancement. I think it's the weights. I mean, these are pretty well done plant-based diets and pretty well done research omnivore diets. I mean, crap is crap, but it, the capacity to have good physical fitness and muscle strength is there if you get in the gym and lift the weights and have a broad, colorful diet. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of tofu-based, soy-based products like edamame and tempeh and tofu. It gives you every amino acid that you could possibly want in a single food.
0: How's Four the absorb? Five? So so as it relates to amino acids and proteins, is yeah. not the content of the food is the ability to, to it's bioavailability. It's called a dias score. And so there's a right. score there. There's a, so my understanding is that, for example, soy foods, while they have a lot of these amino acids, the dias score yeah. is actually low relative to like whey protein or something like that.
1: Yeah, but yet, you know, in the last six months, a nice randomized study of whey versus soy protein in athletes training in a gym, no difference. I mean, did they measure world.
0: muscle percent muscle what's called fat free yeah. muscle index?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I think one of them actually did muscle biopsies to look that at That would be a good know, way, yeah, I think. architectural structure and enzyme activity and mitochondrial activity. There was in the last 2 weeks a randomized analysis of actually cardio of runners, of racers and the improvement over time. It's called the Nurmi study if anybody wants to look it up N U R M I. Runners, long distance racers on a vegan diet improved their performance as much as omnivores. And they actually had about 250 people. So that's more than your average small little study. So, I, you know, and it's always the question, what is the meat heavy diet coming with it? You know, and how I think clean so. Is it? Correct. you got to work as hard to eat a healthy meat heavy diet as you're going to work as hard to eat a healthy plant fit forward diet and you're going to have to be a qualitarian that's a mark common term. a qualitarian
0: elite. that's right it is you a more common term
1: you're going to want to pick organic over non-gmo over just conventional if you have the choice in the budget i mean you got to be a snob a bit of a snob about all this stuff they're all elite diets i mean that's the problem 80 of america <laughs> yeah. is eating mindlessly and a toxic diet and the 20% of us fight nonstop. And, you know, we're choosing our version of a little bit more expensive. It doesn't have to be more expensive, but it typically is. It typically beer. is. Grass-fed beef is more expensive. And so,
0: even uh, like, look local farmer's market here in New York, maybe it's New York, but it, things are more expensive than, you know, a, a Big Mac. Yeah. So
1: I'm open-minded. I mean, I've recently added two grams a day of creatine. Oh, to excellent. My yeah. Because... There's two studies I did in my podcast on this that uh, vegetarians may be low in creatine because it does come from largely plant-based sources, and athletes that are training that supplement it with creatine on a vegetarian or vegan diet may benefit. I've recently added, although that's a recent, 1,000 milligrams of taurine a day, a very widely available, inexpensive amino acid supplement. One, it, the sources of taurine in a vegan diet can be a bit deficient. There's not a lot of data, but there's some new longevity data about taurine as a potential low cost uh, longevity supplement. So, and it also lowers blood pressure and improves cardiac function. So I've been using taurine in a lot of my congestive heart failure and hypertension patients with good results. And now, with this new kind of flashy headline, you know, new inexpensive longevity agent, although it was animal studies that showed. They lived longer with additional taurine. We don't have a great human study yet. We have a hypothesis and a basis to believe it might be. So I do, I'm a supplementer of whole food plant-based diets. Yeah. I don't think it's a deficiency in saying it's still an advantage for certain health conditions and potentially better for the environment. And potentially kinder to the world. I I like to bring up just, you know I know there's a thousand directions we could go. I have a new friend on the planet named Brian Johnson. And some people might recognize his name, B-R-Y-A-N Johnson. He's the guy that sold Venmo for $800 million. And he's spending 2 million a year to try and create a plan where he's gonna live the longest and healthiest of anybody on the planet. And he's just everywhere lately on the news, social media. It's a very serious endeavor. He's got a team of 30 advisors. He's got a home medical clinic in Venice, California. He's not taking this lightly, So we've become, we bonded a bit because he's, he chose a whole food plant-based diet with 2000 calories a day of black lentils and mushrooms and greens. And so two the 2000
0: calories a day is also intentional for longevity purposes.
1: Yeah. And it's all published. If you look up Brian Johnson and something called the blueprint project, yeah. Everything he does every day, every supplement he takes every day, every blood.
0: He's very, he is, I've seen him being interviewed. And so he's very (laughs) focused, let's just say.
1: Very philosophical and intellectual. And, you know, his, his current business project is a brain AI project. And he's, you know, it's like listening sometimes to Elon Musk talk. It's a, a level of, I think, intelligence beyond my average conversation about lipoprotein little A. But anyways, I think it's a statement that a guy with every resource in the world, economically and research wise, shows a whole food plant based diet as sure. an experiment in longevity sure. and an experiment in cardiovascular optimization. Sure, and, you know his you know his biggest concern he discussed with me was how come at age forty five I can't get my peak heart rate to one hundred and ninety three like my eighteen year old son, and can you help me get my peak heart rate? I mean, this guy is so yeah. focused yeah. on data. Yeah, uh, I said. Yeah, I don't think I want my heart rate at 190. That's right. I'm doing something either. Do you, do you either want to live to 150 years old? Very fun very wrong. If my heart rate's 193, I'm probably being
0: chased by the police. That's right. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you mentioned you take carnitine. Thank you for saying that because I don't necessarily. My job is not if you're already vegan. My job is not to convert you to anything else, but what you're doing. And my job is to make that a healthy vegan diet. So I do recommend carnitine. I have recommended branching amino acids to older patients who are right. who are vegan. And B twelve, right? Of course, you would do B twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's some
1: simple now. There's probably five companies I work with one that make a nice multivitamin specifically for vegans to fill science based potential gaps. A little iodine, a little selenium, a little vitamin K two. I would add now creatinine and taurine. Creatin and taurine, I'm sorry, to potentially uh, expanded uh, vegan Great. support vitamin. It's fine, you know, you, there's lots of things you're not getting like a high TMAO level and a high added saturated fat content and something called new 5 gc which may cause inflammation. So it's, you know, it's a trade-off. You know, there is just on the last maybe circle around this protein topic. I mean, I tend to go back to Walter Longo and they published in 2014 and 2016 an analysis of protein intake and all cause mortality and stroke and heart attacks, And it's odd data because before age 65, low protein intake was associated with better health and less disease conditions and longevity. And over age 65, there was a bit of a flip in the data when they cut the data by age. And it looks like, like you said, in your seniors, you focus a bit more on protein support. But what Dr. Longo talks about is still well below the national recommendations. It's like going from 0.4 milligram per kilogram protein to 0.6 when you're over 65. He's not even talking about the USDA. One gram,
0: 1.2 gram. Or
1: the one gram up and up. one gram per pound. Per is, kilogram,
0: yeah.
1: Wilson, well, they switch over to pound. Yeah, one for one, item. right. Yeah, which is a high number. So... You know, top scientists don't completely agree, but, you know, there is a downside. Actually, some top scientists do agree with
0: the U.S. There are guys like yeah. Lane Norton and all these guys, right. yeah. Ph.D. guys. Right. Supplements, what kind and for what? Give us an overview. This could be another podcast, I know, but give us an overview.
1: A whole Another podcast. I would just say, fundamental question, is it just expensive urine or is it a benefit? You know, I'm I would say yes.
0: I would say yes to both. Is expensive urine because your body's going to get rid of what it doesn't need, but you want to saturate your body with all the good things before it comes out in your urine. I'm actually
1: impressed, just to fall back again, Brian Johnson publishes the 105 supplements a day that he takes on this longevity journey, and he does it for 10 bucks a day, and he actually publishes exactly every brand and every capsule that he buys. And most of them are right off Amazon, and they're pretty good quality choices. I'm impressed it's not a hundred dollars a day you know that's a couple starbucks worth of multivitamins and few of us are doing 105 vitamins a day but it's an interesting list that's on his blueprint protocol website
0: a cardiovascular disease to reduce the risk of arterial sclerosis and those things or does it depend on do you do red yeast rice when ldl is high as opposed to a statin what's your approach
1: it's a whole nother conversation, but I'll just give you, you know, kind of randomly my top ones, CoQ10, yep. which is also coenzyme Q10 known as ubiquinone or ubiquinone, but CoQ10, let's call it that. You know, there's a Swedish randomized study that if you're 70 and older and you add CoQ10 to your diet, you actually reduce cardiovascular outcome and mortality. And it's a good study and everybody ignores it. Certainly if you're on a statin like Lipitor, there's Huge biochemistry to say you should be taking CoQ10. But good to take our
0: list if you're in a statin or not.
1: And if you're over 40, I think you should take CoQ10. There's a, you know good randomized studies in congestive heart failure that adding CoQ10 improves outcome. All cardiologists ignore that data. I use CoQ10 at very high doses in almost every patient I have. Taking take myself every day. What's high doses? You know, 400, that is 600 high. in my heart patients. Yeah, you know, a couple 200 milligrams on a daily basis would be fine. I like one, this is gonna surprise some people, called GLYNAC, G-L-Y-N-A-C, which is either you take two pills or you find it together. It's glycine plus N-acetylcysteine. There's actually now maybe half a dozen human studies, let alone animal studies, that older, frail people with cognitive problems, muscle strength problems, balance problems, respond incredibly well. And these are double-blind, randomized studies to GLYNAC. And again, in whole food, plant-based vegan eaters, glycine may be an issue because it tends to be an animal sourced amino acid. So glycine also helps you sleep at night. So I take a thousand milligrams of glycine and I take, I don't know, 900 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine. These are inexpensive, safe, available vitamins. I'd like that there's some human longevity data. I'm big into spirulina and chlorella, which aren't really supplements. They're really food from algae sources, but the the amino acid content the micronutrient content the pigments the phytonutrients the anti-inflammatory support and also i'm big on them i mean i take a lot of supplements today but i'm trying to not make the list particularly so for cardio
0: today, i would say for cardiovascular yeah. disease that you would you know, highly recommend
1: vitamin d3 with vitamin k2 for some cardiovascular and bone support mm-hmm. you know i personally eat natto beans you There's a company called New York Natto you can buy online. I like their little beans. I'll give them a little plug, but that's a source of vitamin K2, but you could just take it. Some source of omega-3 could be a lot of chia flax hemp, could be an algae-based omega-3, could be a fish, sardine, anchovy, herring based omega-3, or get the blood test first to see if you're deficient. I mean, those would be, you know, and magnesium does wonderful things for so many conditions from blood pressure to palpitations. To Yeah, wouldn't you say
0: magnesium is probably the top mineral for, you get a lot of bang for your buck, blood pressure. You get a lot of bang for your buck from a cardiovascular perspective, for sure.
1: This can be if you don't have advanced kidney failure. So magnesium's always on my to-do go list and it's inexpensive. It's I mean, inexpensive. It's intimidating. Go look for magnesium glycinate or magnesium taurate. These are the way it'll be labeled on the bottle, but it still could be pennies a day to get 400 milligrams or I tend to take it twice a day. It helps me sleep at night and keeps my blood pressure very normal, which genetically I'm not supposed to have normal blood pressure by this age. So I work hard at. I them. saw a picture of you with your son.
0: You guys don't look either. He's looking older, or you looking younger, or I both. Never,
1: yeah, you know, they're three kids, and they're all pretty different. We have two vegan children and one paleo child. Love them all. You still
0: love him? You love the paleo child? You have I not disowned him?
1: him? You know, I, he's even a lawyer. He's a oh lawyer, boy. so they, it's so difficult. No, he's a great, he's a great kid. He's absolutely. Hey,
0: last question, Joel. Statins. There's the statin wars. Some people would say some hardcore natural integrative doctors say no way, no how. I think Jack Wolfson is one of them. No way will I ever recommend it. Others would say it depends. Others would say absolutely it should be in the water. Bullshit!
1: Bullshit! Excuse me.
0: (laughs) It should be in the. Others would say it should be in the water, and everybody should take it. Just just
1: dispel number one. It's not an economic conversation. Seven of the eight statins on the market, and really the eight, they're all generic and they're pennies a day. And, you know, the generic companies may be making a penny. I mean, in the day when these were released and there's a whole new family of new cholesterol-lowering medications that are very expensive and require insurance preauthorization. but it's not an economic conversation. So it should be strictly... Uh, You know, at the time, Lipitor was the number one best-selling drug in the world and created billions of dollars in sales, but that's not a relevant part of any conversation anymore. Statins disturb our biochemistry. They lower our production of coenzyme Q10. They may cause some rise in blood sugar. Certainly, some people get brain fog and some people get myalgia, muscle pain. The majority of people, including some recent nocebo studies, you know, placebo studies that as many people in well done studies, complain of muscle aching on a placebo of statin as they do on the statin. I think that's not completely true because I'm very careful to monitor for blood sugar changes and mental status changes. Everything's reversible. With a There's a very rare syndrome I just discovered in the last year where you can develop an antibody to the enzyme that helps you make cholesterol after you're exposed to statins. And that seems to be a more permanent problem. All the other problems go away when you stop the drug. So you just ask the patient how they're doing and you monitor blood work. And Can CoQ10 with-
0: offset some of that?
1: Well, it, it offsets the blockade of producing CoQ10, of course. Like when I check a CoQ10 blood level, which is very available and easy on a patient on a statin, it's ultra low. And then I put them on CoQ10 and it comes up in a normal range. Some of them will lose their brain fog, some of them will lose their muscle aching, some of them that experience a bit of a rise in blood sugar. Maybe they're wearing a monitor, maybe they're just having blood testing, or maybe they're poking their finger, will notice that their blood sugar is returning towards their baseline. So, yes, some of it is reversible with CoQ10. There is another interesting nutraceutical called GG, gerineal geraniol, that also may help allow you to take a statin. There's a product called GG Pure I use in my clinic, but allow you to take a statin with lower exposure to side effects. But when you take the wealth of the world's literature since 1983, I think a study came out called the 4S study, and I think I got that year right. It might be 93. I think it was 93, actually. 4S study that showed in people with extremely high cholesterol and heart disease, it was a bit of a biased sample. I mean, that on a statin versus placebo is a dramatic reduction in all cause mortality. It all depends what population you pick. If you take a population of people with a heart calcium CT scan of 0, you're going to have to study 1 million people to find 3 people that benefit from a statin and that's even the statement of the American Heart Association. There may be no role for statins in people that get the heart CT scan And have a favorable result or get the carotid scan and have clean young arteries. You're not treating a disease, they don't have the disease. You don't give chemotherapy to people that don't have prostate cancer. Don't give a stat to somebody that you've proven has no vascular disease. But in people with more advanced problems, given now that we're shooting for LDLs of 45, 50, 40, you know, 40, And people with advanced diseases. APOB, we
0: want that to be as low as a newborn. At least that's what some people are saying. There's only... Well, that's exactly
1: that a newborn may have an LDL cholesterol of 25. And even, you know, a doctor I've not met, but listened to Peter Atiyah, MD, talks a lot about if you could maintain your teenage LDL cholesterol through the rest of your life, we'd be abolishing the majority of heart disease. And many reasonable people would agree with that if you could do it safely. And it's, not necessarily gonna be easily accomplished with nutrition alone, but you know, I'm not talking about putting teenagers on statins, god knows. I'm very low dose, I'm very selective. My current protocol almost always there's a second prescription drug called Ezetimibe. Yeah. It used to be called Zetia. There's one dose, it works completely different than a statin. And in my practice, I can use the lowest dose on the planet of a statin with the second drug in a synergistic combo and get those wonderful LDL levels in a patient with advanced heart disease that I otherwise could get only with a moderate or high dose. And a randomized study in Korea has shown this is the optimal approach. And I just knock it out of the park when you use that combination, because people feel good, they're glad they're on a low dose. And their numbers really look good.
0: Man. That was the last question. I got to go, man. This has been loaded. Thank you. Thank you so much. Look, when you opted, I know you're mostly Jewish or you follow Jewish law. And I said, wow, now Saturday, Joel is winning. I am so grateful because I know your weekdays are tough.
1: You're doing the Lord's work here. We're trying to keep people alive and healthy and able to attend more family events. I mean, these are, you know, the, we have had a fun conversation, but these are the critical questions that are not being addressed in standard medicine. And, you know, we never said it, but still number one killer of men and women in the Western world, more than 700,000 people a year in the United States die of coronary vascular disease. This is the worst number I know in the world. A thousand plus people a day die of something called sudden cardiac death. They didn't get to say goodbye. They weren't in hospice. They didn't have their family around them. and It right. was a beautiful moment. They find them dead on the toilet. Right. They find them dead. In bed a lot of her- the celebrities
0: and actors who are dying is from that yeah. scenario.
1: Sudden cardiac death should scare people. Yeah. And that's the reason. Go get that heart CT scan. Go I find the carotid. Ulcer, get the extra biomarkers. Explore the science of healthy, clean diets of a variety of causes. And stop dying, people. Yeah, that so sad. We have a death in Detroit this week of a fifty-seven-year-old woman married to a prominent media personality. And I mean, just rip your heart out. Yeah. I mean, oh, I wish I had seen her a year or two before or six weeks before. I mean, I don't know any of the circumstances of her actual, you know, pathophysiology, but just let's get to these people and stop these tragedies.
0: I agree. Joel, thank you so much. Last final thoughts and how can people get in touch with you and we'll put that in our show notes.
1: I'm in Motown, Motor City, and I have a very active clinical practice that extends to many states in the United States because of licenses. So I'm at dot drjoelkahn.com. Take it to my podcast, take it to my clinic, take it to my books, and we have a good time with people.
0: Joel, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. See you soon, my brother, at probably some conference or if not sooner. And, uh, you know, have a great day. Thank you very much. Enjoyed every minute. Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day. I'm talking about AG1. You know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time and <laughs> it, ha- it has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible, but you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. With- in AG1, you have 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Gio. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Gio to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, Thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time.